So several years ago, Casey and I, we were blessed to go on vacation to London. And whenever we vacation somewhere, I try very hard to blend in with the people who live there. I never really want to stick out as a tourist. And that's because I don't like when people look at me funny and when they try and sell me things. But I quickly found that this would be much harder than I realized in England. From the very beginning outside the airport, as we tried to get a taxi, I had a bunch of angry Londoners yelling at me for jumping the queue, which we Americans would call a line for the cab. When we got into the taxi, I said the name of the hotel wrong, and the taxi driver looked at me like I was insane. So we were off to a great start. But I knew, I knew that ultimately we would never blend in because of our accents. True, we speak the same language, but boy, does it sound different. And sure enough, when we got to the hotel, I could barely understand the accent of the woman at the front desk as she repeated the same thing over and over again, patiently waiting for this American to respond. Eventually, I just smiled and said, yes, which must not have been a real answer. So we started the whole thing over again. So in all, I lasted about three hours trying to blend in before I threw in the towel. And I just decided to give up, lean into the whole tourist vibe, because there was no escaping the fact that we were just too unlike everyone else there. And maybe you think I'm crazy for wanting to blend in. and Maybe you love being a tourist. But putting, putting travel and vacation aside, a lot of us, a lot of us in this life, we don't, we don't like being unlike everyone else. Uh, we might want to be better than other people at things, but many of us don't want to stand out as different or strange because we fear that if we do, people will cast us aside or they'll shun us. So to some degree, we try and blend in in this life, don't we? Many people do that, and unfortunately, it's, it is true for many of God's people. More than that, we know that as Christians, we've been called to live a very different life than those in this world. From our, our actions and our words to the very thoughts that we are to be focused on, all these things are to be pleasing to God. Yet, when we live a life pleasing to God, we know that inevitably we're going to come into conflict with this world that is self-focused and pleasure-centered and morally indifferent. That's when the world points the finger and says that we're the problem. We're the strange one. We're the bigot. The one that needs to be put aside. Because we don't live the way that they do. And that's many times where the temptation comes to blend in. However, in our hearts as Christians, we know that the Lord has called us to respond differently. And this is one of the reasons why we've been studying the book of Joshua together as a church. Because in the book of Joshua, we will find many principles to live by faith in a fallen world. We're going to continue our study this morning by turning to Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to see in Joshua 5 that the Israelites needed to grasp the importance of being a people unlike everyone else. We're going to see that we need to grasp that same truth. Joshua chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to use one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 172. Page 172, Joshua chapter 5. 
beginning in verse 1, says this. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear. And they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Let's stop right here for a few minutes. Because this is a sort of strange thing for a lot of reasons. It's an interesting transition from verse 1 to verses 2 and 3. I think we need to talk about this. The other week, Pastor Brandon and I, we, we went to a local high school basketball game. And the home team during the game was down by about 10 points. Pretty much the whole game they were down. They couldn't get the score any closer until the final three minutes of the game. They finally clawed their way back. They got a couple of big baskets, some defensive stops. Then they got the ball again, and they had all these things going in their favor, and then a timeout was called. Now, if you're a fan of sports, it wouldn't surprise you to hear that the opposing team called the timeout. And this is a common tactic in sports. When a team gets hot, you call a timeout to slow the momentum down. And the last thing that a team that's on a roll wants to do is stop. But it seems like the opposite is happening here in Joshua chapter 5. So think back if you've been with us through our study so far. Earlier, the spies, the Israelite spies, came back from Jericho. And they reported to Joshua that the whole land was in fear because of them. Then, God performs this incredible miracle. He parts the Jordan River, and the whole nation of Israel, who some estimate may have been as strong as 2 million people at this time, the whole nation crosses over. Well, the nations on the other side, they realize that now they don't have any more time to prepare, to plan, to make fortifications. The Israelites are right on their doorstep. This unstoppable God is leading them. So all the momentum is with Israel. The land is melting in fear, and God calls a timeout. He says that they need to stop right here. I don't know about you, but I have a feeling the Israelites might have been a little confused. God says that the Israelite men need to be circumcised. Well, if I was there, I might have thought, you know, God, that seems like something we could have taken care of earlier. Like maybe when the Jordan River was between us and our enemies. Maybe during those days you told us to consecrate our hearts. Maybe we could have done this a different time. Yeah, but sometimes God slows us down to bring us back to what's most important. Now that the Israelites were in the land, now that they were going to come face to face with these sinful and idolatrous nations, they needed to remember that they are God's people. So God says that circumcision needs to take place. Why is that? Let's look at verse 4. It tells us. It says, now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. 
The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Okay. First, I think it would be good for us to understand the purpose of of circumcision before we really understand what's happening here. Now circumcision, this went back hundreds of years earlier to when God called Abraham to be the father of a great nation, the nation that we know as Israel. And God, God established a covenant with Abraham. He said that he would multiply Abraham's descendants and that he would give Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan. God said that on their part, as an ongoing act of obedience, Abraham and his male descendants would undergo circumcision. This was a continual sign and reminder to them of that covenant, that they were God's people and they were supposed to live for him. God said that anyone who failed to do this, they were going to be cut off from those covenant promises and they were supposed to be cut off from the nation. In other words, God was going to give Israel all this land and as a sign and symbol of their inward faith in God and in his promises, the Israelites were to continue the practice of circumcision. So here we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 5, verse 4, and we find that there was a problem. Abraham's descendants, they were in the land, but the men weren't circumcised. And it tells us why that was the case. When Israel came out of slavery in Egypt decades earlier, the men of Israel, they were circumcised at the time. But while that generation had the physical sign of the covenant, they didn't have much faith. In fact, if you go back and read about that generation, you find that when they came out of slavery, they were a bunch of whiners, a bunch of doubters of God's goodness, his power, his promises. Now, they were impatient with God's plans. They turned to idolatry and immorality when they were in the wilderness. And finally, their rebellion came to a climax when they refused to enter the promised land out of fear. So God gave them what they chose. Their lack of faith, their refusal to follow him, because of these, God said they wouldn't enter the promised land. They'd wander in the wilderness until that wicked generation died off. During that time, it seems that that rebellious generation, they didn't circumcise every male born among them like they were supposed to. Now, never forget, remember this, circumcision was just an outward sign. It was a symbol. It was a reminder of God's promises and his covenant. It didn't equal faith. That former generation, well, they had circumcision, but they didn't have any faith. So they died in the wilderness. This new generation, they had faith, but no circumcision. So, so they entered the promised land, but to receive the land, they had to enter back into that covenant with the Lord. They needed to demonstrate their faith through obedience, and they needed to do it even if it was strange. I mean, even if the, the timing of it was 
weird to them. Even if it meant doing it on their enemy's border when they were on the verge of battle, that timing might not make sense. They were supposed to do this even if it didn't make sense to anyone else. After all, the timing in the act of circumcision wasn't about what made sense to the world. It wasn't about what made sense to military tactics. This was about faith in God and his promises. They would need to trust that instead of a river standing between them and their enemies, that God would stand between them and their enemies. This might have been a strange thing. I mean, no, no other nation would have done this. But Israel wasn't supposed to live like any other nation. Israel needed to realize that they had been called to live for God. Unlike all the other nations who live for themselves. They weren't supposed to live like everyone else in the land that they were entering. They were called to live set apart. They were called to live for God. Even if that seemed strange to others. Believers, do we understand that we have been called to live for God and according to his commands, even when his commands seem strange in the eyes of the world? Do we understand that we've been called to live for him anyways? That means living unlike anyone else. We're going to have a different standard of morality. We're going to have a different purpose in this life as we live for eternity. We're going to have a message of the gospel that we're supposed to share with others. We weren't meant to blend in. We were meant to live unlike everyone else. Because we were meant to live for God. Not only that, let's keep going. Let's look at verse 10 together. It says, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year they ate the produce of Canaan. A couple things I want us to see in these verses. So next, the Israelites were to celebrate Passover. Passover was that celebration where they remembered God delivering them from the final plague of death when they were in Egypt. And the last time the Bible tells us they did this as a nation was after the first year of their freedom from Egypt. We'll hear about it after that. It may be that in their rebellion, the nation then ignored the celebration the following years because their hard hearts towards God. After all, it was a rebellious nation in many ways after they came out of Egypt. So perhaps their hard hearts kept them from Passover for many years. That wouldn't really be a surprise. I mean, don't hard hearts often keep us from worshiping God? Have you ever been there where you knew God was commanding you to do something or he disciplined you for some sin in your life and you try to take it out on him by withholding worshiping him? God's foolish when we do that. Now, in Israel's case, when Passover was first established, God commanded that no uncircumcised male was to partake of it. Well, now Israel had taken care of that. And they needed to return to worshiping the Lord through Passover. And you know what? This was the appointed time of year for it. That's not a coincidence. Before they won any victories in battle in the promised land, the people needed to stop and they needed to praise God. They needed to praise him for delivering him in the past as they looked forward to everything God was going to do for them moving forward in the future. See, part of living unlike everyone else is that God's people should worship unlike 
everyone else. So you don't misunderstand. Other people in this world, they have beliefs. Other people worship. In the land of Canaan, where the Israelites were going, the people there worshipped. They worshipped all sorts of false gods. They sacrificed their children to idols. Performed all sorts of immorality in worship. It was ultimately self-focused. But God's people are to worship Him and Him alone. And we're to do this continually, day by day. I have a feeling that right on the heels of being circumcised, there might have been some Israelite men who didn't feel like worshiping the Lord. They weren't really in the mood to worship. Maybe some of us have been there. We didn't really feel like worshiping God, going to church, getting out of our bed, praying, reading our Bible. We didn't feel like it. That's what the world does. The world worships themselves and their idols when they feel like it. We're not supposed to worship like the world. We worship unlike everyone else because we worship God even when things are difficult. Even when things are confusing. Even, even before we see God answer prayer or before God brings a victory like the Israelites were doing. We're always supposed to be found worshiping God. And that's strange in the sight of the world. But we're not supposed to live like the world. We were once a part of it. We were once a part of that same mindset. But now we're set apart in Jesus Christ. And we know... We know that the world thinks this is strange, all of our gathering together to praise a God who we cannot see. But he's the God who rescued you and me from sin and hell, believer. He's the God who deserves our praise no matter what's happening in our lives and in the world. So in great joy, we should worship God unlike everyone else. And Christian, if ever you need a reason to worship God every day as though our Great salvation from hell, our adoption into God's family, all the riches of heaven stored up for us are not enough. Keep in mind that we can always praise God for providing for us. Scripture has said that God will provide for his people. Please notice that I did not say that God has said he will make you rich, that he will give you the corner office, that he'll give you perfect health, that you'll never go through trials or times of want and need. That's not what I said. I said that God will provide. And I said that because it's what the Bible says. Philippians 4.19 tells us, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now we see this with the Israelites. God provided for the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness by bringing them manna from heaven to eat. This 40-year-long miracle only came to an end when God fulfilled his word to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. It was when the people ate the produce of the land that the manna stopped. You see, as God's people, we were called to live unlike everyone else, to worship unlike everyone else, and we can be grateful that we are provided for unlike everyone else. Because God provides for his people. And I, I understand, believer, that you might be going through sickness right now. Or maybe you lost your job. Maybe you struggled to get a paycheck or things are slim right now. And I'm not going to stand here and preach some health and wealth gospel to all of you. But I'm here to say that God knows your needs, that he hears you when you cry out to him, and that he knows just what and when to provide for you. And the Israelites, they went through times where they struggled to realize that. They went through times when things were hard and God's goodness seemed far off. And some remained faithful to him, but others didn't. But now, in Joshua chapter 5, we find 
that there was a nation ready to trust the Lord's goodness. The question is, are we? Church, are we ready to trust God's goodness? We were called to live unlike everyone else in this life. So let's resist that mindset that we must blend in with the world or that we should separate our faith from all the other areas of our lives except for Sunday morning worship. Let's resist those temptations. Instead, let's heed the words of Scripture which tell us this in Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Church, the truth this morning is that a life lived for Christ will look different in the world, and that's what the world needs. So understand that. A life lived for Christ will look different in the world, but that's what the world needs. Uh, the world might despise what a Christian life looks like, but they need to see what it is to live for Christ. Your testimony might be despised by some, but for others, for others it will be what draws them to the only one who can save them. So First Baptist Church of Oxford, let's, let's live unlike anyone else. Let's live for Christ. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you during our final invitation song, our final prayer, I'd encourage you to examine your life and ask, is that how you have been living? Have you been blending in with the world? Or have you been living for God, no matter what others might think or say? Because for some of us, maybe there are some things that we need to confess to the Lord, ways that we haven't been faithful to Him, ways that we've tried to blend in because we're afraid of what other people will say or think. Maybe we need to confess to Him the fact that we haven't been sharing the gospel because of that fear. We haven't been living obediently. We need to bring that sin that's persistent in our life to Him because we know we've been called to live differently. And then... In that final invitation song, let's worship God together. And maybe you're hearing Jesus Christ isn't your Savior. Maybe you've never given him your life, and the idea of us living differently is strange to you. Why we would do that. So I just want you to know before you go that the reason why we'd be willing to live a very different life for Jesus is because of what Jesus has done for us. And so before you go, I just want you to know what Jesus did for you. See, the Bible says that there is a problem, and the problem is that all of us have sinned. We've all broken God's commands. And the reason that's a problem is our sin is separating us from God. Not just in this life, but we'll be separated forever from God after this life in a place called hell because of our sin. We can't make up for sin. No amount of good works, going to church, none of these things make us right in God's sight. It's a pretty hopeless place that we're in. And this is where I want to tell you what Jesus did for me and you. Jesus left his place in heaven and came to this earth. And after he lived a perfect life, Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve for sin. He took all the wrath, all the pain. He took the penalty for our sin on himself on the cross. And then Jesus was buried and three days later powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he's no mere man. He's the son of God. He's the savior. He's the only one who can rescue us from sin and hell. And now Jesus is standing in heaven waiting to forgive you of all your sins. 
waiting to change your life and waiting to give you eternal life. The question is, will you go to him in faith? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And friend, if you have never done that, we want to invite you to do that today. We want to invite you to make that decision that has changed many lives in this room, to make that decision that changed a life yesterday here at the concert. We want you to know that you can make that decision before you leave. Let's pray together. If Jesus is not your Savior, but you are ready to change that, if you want to give your life to the Lord, please know you can do that no matter where you're sitting right now. You can go to Jesus Christ in prayer and admit to Him that you know you're a sinner, but you know He died on the cross for you. Do you believe He didn't stay in the grave, but rose from the dead? And friend, give Him your life. Jesus Christ has said that he'll forgive you, he'll save you, he'll enter into a relationship with you that'll never end. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has still not made that decision, who is on the fence, who is not sure where they stand with you, I pray that they wouldn't leave this place that way. I pray they would come and talk to me during our invitation song. They would find me or Pastor Richard, Pastor Brandon after the service because we'd love to talk to them about this. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision to give our life to Jesus Christ, help us to choose to live for you, even though that means we're going to live differently than everybody else. Even though that means the world is going to think we're strange. Help us to resist the temptation to blend in. But instead, I pray that our lives will be a bright and shining testimony of what it is to be changed by Jesus Christ. I pray that when people see us, they would want to know what is different about us. And that when they ask, we would be faithful to share the gospel with them. And every time we're blessed to see someone give their life to you, help us to be a church faithful to rejoice, to break out praising you. And help us to be found praising you every single day. Father, we love you. But time and time again, you remind us that you love us so much more. And we thank you for that. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.